This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Good evening and hello, and welcome back to the Laravel News Podcast. This is episode 73. Are you so impressed with me right now? If not, I certainly am because I was expecting you to forget by now. Oh my word, Michael, what happened? You're like a brand new man over there. Brand new. What is this crystal clear clarity of voice I'm hearing coming over the internet waves? What is going on right now? I assume it's still delayed, but it sounds more crisp, doesn't it? It sounds amazing. I made a little bit of a an upgrade to my recording little, just a setup. Touch. Just I've, a little bit. Yeah, I finally I finally reached that recording mecca that I set out to, you know, when we when we started this thing, what, four years ago with mm-hmm. our uh, North Meet South Web podcast and yep. looking back on that with the, the little blue snowball and then the blue Yeti <laughs> and then and then I had the, the little uh, blue I had the little uh transportable blue snowflake. Yeah. That thing was that was amazing. All of those are... Uh, you know they've served us quite well over the over the years, and then most recently the the road into USB. But uh, yeah, I've I've made the the final leap, and this is it. There will be no more purchasing of any recording hardware ever. Hopefully, unless congratulations. This stuff blows up. Thank you. You got the SM7B. You got the Scarlet preamp. You got the what else? You got uh, what so else? I've got, yeah, I've got the Scarlet. I don't know what you call the Scarlet, but I've got the DBX 286S Micro phone microphone microphone preamp preprocessor thing so yeah we can we can link up the details in the show notes for people yeah. who are interested to check it out but uh, i think it's pretty much the you know for this level at least the the bee's knees if you the will bee's knees yeah it's no joe rogan setup but you know it'll have to do that's right i mean it's as close as i'm and gonna I've, get and uh i think i i, I made a you know uh, I've got a really good setup here. I've got the uh, Audio Technica ATR twenty one hundred, the ATR twenty one hundred USB. Uh, it's got a built in preamp, so no need for that Scarlet. And uh, <laughs> it's got this little on off switch on the top of it, and it's got a little blue light. And uh, I have I have a little portable stand that I can put on my kitchen table here since <laughs> I don't have like a permanent desk anywhere. So yeah. you know, really high class stuff here. And uh, you know, you know, that's just a- how I roll. As a mid step to, to doing anything crazy, I wonder if it's worthwhile with that ATR that you've got to buy just like the Scarlet and connect via XLR to that and see if that gives you any. That'd be interesting. I mean, I don't know. I, I would do my research, but it might be an interesting rather than going via USB, you might get a bit clearer sound. Yeah. We, we bought four Rode Podcaster. Is that pod called Podcaster? Camera. I think it's called Another podcast. Yeah, yeah, then yeah. we have a eight channel Scarlet input that we're going to be running it all through. Anyway, I might try that. Just uh, mm. we got that for work, so I might try that and see how it goes. I said, give it a go and see how see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, everybody, thanks for bearing with us as we talk about uh, equipment here and nerd out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yes, thank you for uh, bringing the awesome, awesome, the Aussie awesomeness. This episode, Michael, always much appreciated. Okay, Stepping it up so a notch. let's jump in here. Uh, I'm trying to look at where we left off. I know that we did Laravel Telescope Beta, which um, I tried recently, and it was mm-hmm. awesome. Got it was pretty nice. To try this last week. Had a little bit of a problem in production, 
But hey, it happens. Uh, but I for development, some, it was uh, it was incredible. Slight explosions. Yeah, a little explosion, but it was okay. It was okay. Muhammad and I, I jumped on Telegram with Muhammad, and he was like, "Hey, what's going on?" And so we figured, we got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I think we left off on Laravel five seven ten. Does that sound right? Yep. Yep. Is that where we? Is that what we need to look at? No, no. See, we did five seven ten. We did that one. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's hard for me to remember always now because I follow Laravel News on Telegram. And so all yeah. the new posts come out. Yeah. And so I read them kind of throughout the week and then I'm like, dang it, where'd we leave off? Okay, so uh, let's jump into Lighthouse GraphQL server for Laravel. So I think this happened on Twitter, actually, right yeah. after our last episode when we were talking about... Yeah, it was. We were talking about GraphQL and someone had mentioned this package. Let's go yeah, find out who I it think was. We should. That was really kind of them. It was... Gal Yakic. How'd you find that so fast? Well, because I opened Tweetbot and then I looked at my mentions for someone who said graph. You're incredible. You're <laughs> an incredible man. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. So that person mentioned it. Thank you. And uh, then the next day, I think Paul Redmond, everybody's favorite human, read an, uh, or not read, wrote an article up on this. So let's talk about this real quick. Yeah. So we were talking about GraphQL and I know that in the past it's kind of been a little bit tricky to set up, but Lighthouse PHP is a package that allows you to serve a GraphQL endpoint from your Laravel application. So it kind of uh, really, it just sits on top of your current application and it reduces a lot of boilerplate around creating the schema that you'd need in order to be able to support a GraphQL server. And it just makes the, the process really, really quick. So it goes along with your eloquent models and migrations. So you kind of with nothing more than just defining like what your schema is for your endpoints, you have a fully functional GraphQL server. There it is. It's like done. Mm-hmm. So they talk in this, this blog post kind of details how you do that, how you go through and set up that schema, and then how you can, you know, hit that endpoint and, and have a fully functioning GraphQL server in no time. So this is a really awesome package. It looks like they've spent a lot of great work on it. Even the branding of it looks really, really good. So you can definitely tell there's been some hard work put into this and it is being actively maintained. So if GraphQL is something that you're interested in, just even if you're just interested in playing around with it, this literally allows you to get up and started with your current Laravel application just by defining like a single set of schema and you can play around with it in like 10 minutes. So uh, definitely go check this out. Lighthouse GraphQL server for Laravel. Really, really cool. We'll definitely link that up yeah. in the show notes. Thank you so much. What was the name again? Gal Yakic. Gal Yakic. Hey Gal, thanks so much for pointing this out to a super cool package. Well done to all the people who have been working so hard on this. Super cool. Okay, so let's move on. We have what's next? Building a Laravel translation package. Did you want to talk about this at all? I mean, you know, you don't really honestly get to do a whole lot of translation work stuff, do you? You no. guys don't do a lot much localization of, of no. your website. It's I mean, all of our only stuff for Aussies. Is, yeah, all of our stuff is like we're an internet provider for Australians, so everything's in English. Um, we don't have to worry too much about translation at all. But this. This uh, it's an, actually a series of articles on Laravel News called "Building a Laravel Translation Package," and it's written by Joe Dixon. And essentially, it's taking you through the process of building a package for Laravel that supports translation. So, for those oh, of you right. uh, who are building packages that that need to be used by people, you know, all around the world that maybe distribute views or distribute validation rules and things like that to make it nice and easy to swap out for your local your local language 
this package or this series of posts by Joe is essentially showing you how to go about building up a package that you that you can share on GitHub or on GitLab or whatever via packages and uh, and do that. So if if translation is something that you need to support or you're looking at supporting in the future, definitely check out and follow along this series. There's a new post each Friday on Laravel News. So we'll link up the the one here that we've got. I think we're up to this would be the second or third article. This is the second one, I think, yeah. 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 So there's one on uh, so part one was the introduction, part two is on scaffolding, and then there is, I'm pretty sure, a third one as well, which goes into wrangling the translations themselves. Yeah, they're really excellent. Honestly, they really are. Uh, a lot of time has been put into these and it kind of holds your hand and guides you down the path of starting out creating your first package. Even like if you've, even if you're not building a translation package, this is a really good primer on how Joe Dixon, the author of this post, goes about creating and scaffolding out a package. So it's super helpful just in that respect. Not even mentioning the fact that it's you know being built to support multiple translations. So definitely give it a read. Pretty awesome, and looking forward to reading the rest of those. Very cool. Okay. Also saw this this week, which was pretty cool. This Lara metrics. Uh, have you gotten a chance to look at this at all? Only very briefly in passing, but tell us tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, I'm going to slaughter the name here, Andrew. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. Andrew Schmelian. Is that it? That same, seems fine to me. That's how I would have said it. So it's, this is defined as self-hosted metrics and notifications. Uh, so Andrew Schmelian is the author behind this. And I looked at this and it's pretty dang cool. So it really solves a couple problems that you've maybe had to assemble a couple different packages to solve in the past. Uh, So I'm going to, it's really centered around three things. It's centered around models, logs, and requests. And so what it does is it allows you to be able to monitor those three things. Uh, It stores any changes to your models that have happened. It stores any logs that have come in. And then it also stores uh, any of the information that was on any requests that come in. As you can probably guess, it also has exp- like expiration dates for how, how many logs, you know, like how many logs do you want to keep or how many days do you want to keep them for? Same thing with changes to models, same things with requests. But it's really, really interesting. You can jump in at any time and go see all the requests that have come in for the last you know, 10 days or whatever. The documentation is really, really simple. You can get up and running with it in like five minutes. The, the one thing that may be really interesting and nice for people is that it works all the way back to 5.2, Laravel 5.2, but they actually have a goal of being able to make this accessible to people who are using Laravel versions all the way back to 4.2, which is pretty interesting. So if you're stuck on an older version, of Laravel, you are not abandoned. They are wanting to make this available to you as well. So like I said, I know in, in previous kind of iterations of a couple of different packages that I've used, I had like a log viewer and that was that was helpful. It was nice to be able to to like give to some of my other coworkers who maybe don't have access to the servers, you know, a version that they could go see. Now we use paper trail for everything, so it doesn't really matter. But in some of these cases, it would be really nice for everyone to be able to go view the logs. The requests thing is really cool, actually, being able to have a log of all the requests. And I've actually had to set this up myself on a couple of our APIs where like I'm doing the request logging for every lo- for every request that comes in, right? So this does all of that for you as well as keeps track of all the changes for your models. And again, like I said, it gets set up in like five minutes and it looks 
really good. There's been a lot of work put into this. So if any of that stuff sounds interesting to you, which hopefully it should, uh, I would definitely give this a check. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for all your work on this. Oh, the other thing I didn't mention, which is kind of like half of the package, is that it allows you to be notified uh, via Slack or email when you have different notification triggers that are met. Some example notifications might be email me when a notice or info message is logged, alert me through Slack and email when an error is logged, let me know when an admin model is created or deleted, tell me when someone visits the auth login route. That's kind of interesting. So yeah, looks like you've got all sorts of options there. So pretty cool. So anyway, yeah, thanks Andrew for taking the time to put that together. Really, really cool. And it's free. Yeah. Simple to get started. Takes a few minutes to get started. Really, you know, you can't you can't lose on this one. Yeah, check, so it, check out. it out. Check it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. So speaking of metrics and notifications and those sorts of things, we are so happy to have. Is this our longest sponsor? I feel yep. like this may be our longest sponsor, which yep. is incredible. Honey Badger is sponsoring us for a third time. So if you haven't yet heard of Honey Badger, I don't know how that's possible. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, but Michael, tell us about Honey Badger. Well. Building on things like Larimetrics, which is free, and then Sentry and Bugsnag and Rollbar and Airbrake, lots and lots of different error trackers already on the market and established. All of these tools typically focused on just exceptions. Honey Badger, however, does more than just the exceptions. It gives you full confidence in the health of your entire production environment. With integrated exception, uptime, and cron and service monitoring, your bacon will be saved when you're cloud platform is having issues when there are critical jobs and services that stop running when your scheduled tasks stop running when your ssl certificates expire when your web servers crash when dns fails and on and on and on it is the only error monitoring platform which can alert you about all of these issues and for roughly the same price as any of the other providers that just do the exception tracking they give you loads more error reports per month they give you more users in a lot of cases and the data retention is 90 days on their paid plans. So consider that if you were paying for another provider at $70 a month, you would have as much as 150,000 less error notifications and you'll have a user limit. Then you'll also pay for something like Pingdom to manage your uptime monitoring, which is an extra $80. And you're monitoring cron jobs using another service and spend another $70 a month on something like Chronator. So it all adds up when you take all of the extra services into consideration. So if that's not enough, there are heaps and heaps of other things which you get with Honey Badger. Your next outage will be easy to diagnose and fix and your customers will be happier because of that. With everything in one place, you don't have to look about team access in different providers. You spend more time developing software and less time monitoring it and you will flat out love working with Honey Badger. They're highly personable and your success is their mission. So be sure to check out Honey Badger at Honey honeybadger.io forward slash four forward slash Laravel and enjoy yourself a free 15 day trial. Thanks Tiny Badger for sponsoring Laravel News. That was incredible. Wow. Nicely done. Nicely done. I'm going to have to go try Honey Badger now. Cool, man. Well, thanks again, Honey Badger for sponsoring the show. We're super excited to have you as sponsor and uh, thanks for taking an interest in the Laravel community. Okay. So we have another package here by Marcel Pussyat. So this is the Laravel tag helper. Um, and this kind of goes along a little bit with maybe X-Blade. Um, Blade X. Which, uh, Blade X. Oh my gosh. You're not going to cut that out, I know. But I'm going to sound like an idiot. So Blade <laughs> X. <laughs> so Laravel tag helper kind of goes along with that a little bit. So there's some quick examples in this blog post that I'm going to kind of talk about here. So really what it does is it allows you to take and define your own 
properties, I think, I suppose. Attributes? That yeah. you'd, attributes, thank you. That's what I'm looking at. Uh, your own attributes that you would put onto a tag. So uh, for instance, like one of the things that you might have to do on a regular basis is like when you're starting out a form, uh, Laravel uses method spoofing for if you're doing like a patch request. So if you're going to be updating a resource, a lot of times they'll use a patch method or you know verb in order to accomplish that. And so what you have to do with those is you have to do a method spoof where you say underscore method, I think is the, is the variable that you pass through and then you mm -hmm. pass through like the name of the verb that you're doing. Right. Yeah. So you have to do that a lot of times. And then the secondary thing, which you have to do is, um, you know, you'll have to pass in like where you want it to go and you have to specify like route and then, you know, the name of the route, whatever. So one way that this helps, uh, this package in particular, you can just put method equals something. And then in this helper, what you can do is you can specify what that should look like when it converts it into a blade syntax, right? So you can say at method uh, and then inject put for yourself uh, or whatever. And, or if you need to do like the CRSRF tag inside your form, you can do that as well. So it essentially takes a lot of these, um, maybe what you would have considered before HTML macros and makes them a lot more flexible and pretty and usable inside your blade mm. templates. And that's probably a really, really bad explanation of what exactly this does. But really what it allows you to do is create custom blade code that you can inject through attributes in mm -hmm. HTML tags. Mm -hmm. I think that's the easiest way for me to say it. Is that yeah. is that yeah. kind of... Yeah, I think so. And I think this is kind of like a halfway between using raw HTML, using blade and using something like blade X from Spartsy because it's just hooking into your existing... Uh, HTML tags, which means that you're just putting attributes and values in there, which means you, you don't have to worry about extra plugins to handle things like syntax highlighting. I know that Freik posted recently, someone was working on a plugin for VS Code that does all kinds of intelligence for Blade X. But if you want something that, that gives you a little bit more power in terms of your HTML, and it means that you don't have to use like an at method put at CSRF and things like that, even inlining route helpers and things like that, all in your attributes, this is a nice way of going about it. And I think like I'd be inclined to check it out because it means you don't have to break out of that familiar HTML syntax. On the other hand, it may be less discoverable for people new That's to the project yeah. because they'll look at this and they'll see, for example, in, a, in an anchor tag, you've got a route equals profile. And, you know, if you don't know, if you're not familiar with this tag helper, you'd look at it and go, well, that's that's not valid HTML. How does this work? And then you've got to go and figure out what it's actually doing. Yeah. So, you know, it's a balancing act as as with many things in in development to take care of that kind of stuff and, and you know, be mindful of, of bringing people into a project. But if it's something you're working on by yourself or you've decided as a team that this is the approach you want to use, I think it's a, it's a nice sort of place in between doing the raw blade and using something like Blade X. Yeah. And uh, the other thing too, with like, you know, my solution to this previously would have been something like a, um, I don't know, I don't even know if you can do this anymore. Cause I don't think the HTML sort of stuff is in Laravel anymore. Right. So you can pull no, in like yeah. the, uh, Laravel collective, you can pull in like the form and HTML helpers. Right. And you could have like form macros and HTML macros. Right. And we, th that doesn't really happen in Laravel anymore. So this sort of brings back some of that behavior without having to put like a custom a custom sort of tag in right before yeah. it would have been like form colon colon and then you would have said like 
you know, whatever your custom macro name was or HTML colon colon. Uh, and this, again, like you said, allows you to kind of stay in that HTML flow, but be able to continue to have some of that magic. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And it's really, really easy to use. The, the whole blog post, post outlines it here. Uh, you can read it in about a minute and a half and have a really good understanding of what it is. Yeah. Since I didn't do an excellent job explaining it, but uh, there we go. Okay, we have Laravel 5.7.12 released. Michael, what was changed in this release? There are some new additions, there are some changes, and there are some bug fixes. So first of all, the cache manager class has a new forget driver method, which will allow you to drop a connection already open by the cache manager. This is particularly useful if you need to force a connection to reconnect on your changed config options and you want to create the connection again. You can now also get the HTTP route middleware groups with a new get middleware groups method, which allows to create tests for the middleware groups themselves, which is currently not possible because the property is protected. So it's just a, you know, a getter method for the underlying middleware groups property. So if you wanted to ensure that the web group is using a specific middleware to track campaigns in your project, you can use the get middleware groups method on the app HTTP kernel class in order to determine that a specific uh, middleware is being used on that group. And the last new addition to the framework is a new SQLite configuration option, foreign key constraints, which allows you to uh, enable and disable foreign key constraints. Because I know, I don't know the specifics of it, but I know that is it the foreign keys don't actually work in SQLite or something like that. Yeah. 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 I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for so, your tests, it can cause some havoc, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're using um if you're using SQLite for your tests, this can this can cause you some problems. And so I was actually really interested to see this. I was talking to Frake last probably last week about this, and in particular, oh, there was one package. Oh, his JSON package, which it doesn't solve this particular problem. But I was kind of talking about how he gets around some of the the uh, SQLite testing issues, mm-hmm. and he was like, I just use a real database. Yeah. Like, and by real, he meant he uses a MySQL database to test. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Which is what we ended up doing at work as well. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just have to, Mm -hmm. Uh, but this is a really nice addition uh, for those of us who really enjoy. I I love as much as I can testing in SQLite, like an in-memory database. It's so freaking fast. No cleanup afterwards. It just, everything works, right? So it's really nice. But yeah, this is a great addition. Yeah. 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 Hey, and just a special shout out to Tatiana Blinderuk has been organizing all of the Laravel 5.7 changelog um, and publishing release announcements on the official Laravel announcement. So if you are unaware, there is actually a Medium blog which tracks and announces all of the all of the changes that are happening to the, the Laravel ecosystem. I think it's predominantly just the framework itself at the moment, but it's a nice little place if you want to subscribe and, and follow along on Medium. So we'll link that up in the show notes. But thank you to Tetiana. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a lot of hard work. And a lot of times those things go unnoticed, you know, it's like somebody has to do that stuff. And so really appreciate Tatiana taking the time to do that. Appreciate it. Okay. You know what? I mean, I know you just did this one. I know you just did the last one, but the minimalist sublime text three setup really has something to do with you, I believe. Right? Uh, Yeah. Paul Redmond, everybody's favorite human reached out to me probably three or four weeks ago now and said, why should I be using sublime text for PHP? And, and like myself, he does like a minimal environment. He likes things to be lightweight and fast and, and so on and so forth. So I shared some of the packages that I'm using and some of the config that I'm using. And he's, he's put up a post on Laravel News that 
goes through some of the built-in features that he's using in order to navigate his projects, going to symbols, going to symbols in the entire project, um, going to definitions and finding references and things like that. And just talking about some of the packages that he's using in terms of PHP Companion, which allows you to do things like, you know, inserting PHP constructor properties, importing namespaces, so doing your use statements, um, expanding fully qualified class names and things like that. You know, I know that a lot of people use um, VS Code now. A lot of people stick by PHP Storm because it has all that intelligence and things in there. Sublime Text is a really good solution or a really good editor if you want a really light touch and you're happy with sort of like navigating the code base. I think for me personally, it, it gives you a little bit more um, discoverability because it means you, in most cases with Laravel, you can guess what function names are. In most cases, you can find them pretty easy if you know what class you're looking in, for example. So Sublime Text, whilst it is a text editor, it does do a reasonably good job of of intelligence and finding things. There's also, you know, integrations with PHP unit. Um, Adam Wathen and David Hemphill put together a Sublime PHP unit plugin, which allows you to essentially target either the individual method in your test class or the entire test file itself to then pop out to your terminal and then run all of your test suite, which is really handy. There is another addition to that, which I, I stumbled upon in talking about this blog post called PHP Unit Kit, which actually allows you to then run your unit test directly inside Sublime, which is really, really handy because I use Tmux in my terminal, which meant that every time that Sublime Text opened up, it doesn't start a new terminal window and it would do weird things with the Tmux session. So being able to run the unit test inside Sublime Text and it just pops up in a little panel at the bottom when the tests run, that's it. But it, I mean, it's pretty much... You know, Paul has got a very similar setup to me. He's only using like seven plugins and it does more or less everything that both of us need in order to, you know, to write Laravel day to day without too much overhead. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm going to have to give this a try. It looks pretty good. And if if there's somebody as hardcore as uh, Paul trying to try this and really happy with it, I might have to give it another shot. It's been a while since I've been back in Sublime for any real text editing mm. or for any real code editing, but I, this this is a great post. I might have to give it a try. The other thing that I've noticed is there comes a point where actually having your IDE can become a bad thing, right? Because what I've noticed happening, not necessarily in my code, I don't think, but in some of the code of the people that I'm working with is that it starts to creep in that you start writing code because your IDE likes it better that way or because you feel like your IDE is giving you better hinting. Mm -hmm. So you start writing stuff that you, for no other reason, would do just because, well, I get a nice type hint that way. Yeah. And I kind of hate that, like, mm -hmm. a lot. Like, mm -hmm. that feels so gross to me. It's like, yeah, fine, but do you really need those like little classes defined everywhere just so that when you type it, you know what method or what properties and methods there are on it? Like, can't you just pass an array through there? It's like, well, yeah, but if I use a class, then it knows what properties are on there and it'll type into it for me when I go to do arrow. And it's like, yeah, but if that's the only reason, that's gross. Like, it's mm -hmm. an extra, you know, I don't know. There's good reasons sometimes, but man, that, that sort of crap drives me crazy. Like if you're, if the only <laughs> yeah, if you're reason you're writing code, code a certain IDE. ways, because it's like, well, my IDE will type hint it for me. It's like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Please don't do that. Yeah. And that's, that's going, you know, to the opposite extreme where you're writing code for the IDE. Cause then it means that especially, I mean, in your environment and in individual work environments, it may be different because 
everyone's using a similar setup, but especially in like open source and code that you're sharing, writing code for your specific setup is is not, you know, it's not a good way to be for, for that package and that code to be discoverable. Yeah. And so I kind of like, I think sometimes you can, you can really go too far that direction, right? Whereas like if you're using something like Sublime, it, it maybe has less of those little niceties, I suppose, like unless you really try for them by installing these packages and stuff. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it really does help to keep things super simple, right? Yeah. It, it, you don't have a lot of stuff that in cruft that you, that you wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. again, I mean, you can do that in, in any edit, in any editor, in any language, you know, in any framework and whatever. So, okay. We've got two more things here. These are both going to be quick, I think. So there's a article out there called five minutes with Corey Smith from ultra running magazine. So this was kind of cool. So Corey Smith is, I don't know if he's like the technical lead or something at ultra running magazine, but he uh, is the solo developer for this magazine and basically redid their entire website in Laravel, not all that long ago, I guess. And this is just kind of a quick post about what he's using it for, how he's using it, the amount of, I don't know, I don't know if it necessarily has anything to say about like how much traffic they have. I read it earlier today, I'm trying to remember, but it's just kind of an interesting one of those like use case things like, oh, cool, they're running Laravel too? That's awesome. Another one that I saw actually just today, somebody shared with me, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Phaser, JS. Have you ever heard of that? P-H-A-S-E-R. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a platform for making games like HTML5, you know, games like on Canvas or whatever. And they can be deployed to like mobile apps and stuff as well. But Phaser, the Phaser website is all written in Laravel as well, mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome. So uh, he and the, the author talks about he's like, it's super minimal setup. He's like, I have no CMS. Like I just write Markdown and publish it to the pages and it automatically like updates, you know, when I push to get and it's like, that's everything I need. And it's super awesome. It's built with Laravel. So pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's always neat to hear those stories of people who are using Laravel. You're like, I had no idea. That's awesome. So yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I think that's it. Well, let's see what else do we have. Do we have any uh, amazing Laravel community links? Ooh, that's an interesting one. How to encrypt file uploads with Laravel. That one was pretty mm. cool. I actually run through that one. That was an interesting one. Stefan Weifel. Zweifel. Here's another cool one. My take on validating Vue.js powered forms in a Laravel app. Maybe I should write about that. I've been using Vulidate, which is really good. Really, really freaking solid. Love it. Well, everybody, I'm so sorry. I think we're going to have to call this one quits. We would normally go through maybe some of these community links, um, but the internet is just causing all sorts of problems for us. This trans-Pacific journey is not working so well. Packets aren't liking us today. So we're going to call this one good. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening to episode 73. If you like the show, find show notes for this episode at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 73. Of course, if you like the show, we would love to hear back from you. Any comments or questions are always welcome. Hit us up at Michael Dorinda, at Jacob Bennett, or at Laravel News on Twitter. And then lastly, rate us up in your podcatcher of choice, five stars. That's all. That is all, folks. That is all. We will speak to you in two weeks. See ya. See ya.